All right. All right, go ahead, if you would, and turn to Revelation 17, 8, 17 and 18. Uh, tonight may be a little bit different. Um, I, I think when we get through tonight, you can read 17 and 18, and it may, it may make a lot of sense uh, to you. Uh, I'm going to show you a short video clip at the end, uh, which kind of has some information about where Babylon was, where it's headed, what's the mentality of the people there now. Uh, if you'll watch that as we begin to go through at the end, uh, and just kind of kind of make some mental notes, uh, there'll be some things that will really stick out to you. Because the fact of the matter is, is that um, the old old city of Babylon um, is in ruins pretty much today. It, it's been it's been um, excavated. Um, there's been a whole lot of uh, work done. But for all, for all practical purposes, it is it's non-functioning as a city at this point. Uh, as we look at this, we go through, um, I just want to make some comments about uh, Babylon because uh, Babylon uh, in the end times is going to be uh, a, a big player in, in what's going on. So let me, just, let me just run down some things for you. Um, We've come to the end of the um, seven trumpet judgment. What we have here really is a parenthesis, okay? What you're going to see in 17 and 18 are some things that have already happened and some things that haven't happened in this, in this storyline uh, as we followed through the, um, the book of Revelation. In chapter 17... This, this is occurring, as you read that, it's occurring during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Uh, chapter 18 is really uh, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And really chapter 18 brings the second coming of Christ on the scene. Uh, but uh, in, John's, in John's visions, uh, John would see some things and then... Uh, he would hear from an angel, and he would kind of fill in the blanks along the way. So you might just say, here's another parenthesis in the uh, chronological order of things that are going on. We talked about the seven bowl um, wraths that were being poured out last week, uh, or two weeks ago, and then um, talked about how how the end came and, and the Kidron Valley and Armageddon and all those kind of things, and then chapter 16 and chapter 17 kind of... Um, uh, fills in some blanks. So let me just, uh, if you would look at verse 5, um, well, no, let's, let's just go up to 1 in, in uh, chapter 17, and let's look at this for a moment. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth are made drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. Um, then he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, uh, which was full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations of the filth of her sexual immorality. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. 
I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Then the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast, uh, of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And then he goes into an explanation of, of uh, what he's talking about. So, so the first seven verses, you have a description of a character or, uh, or a place here, being the place Babylon. Uh, and then he gives you uh, the description of that. So if, if you were to look at an outline, which I just kind of jotted some things down over here, he starts out with this harlot that's exposed, and then the harlot explained in 7 through 14 and verse 18. So what he does is he kind of he kind of gives you something that's kind of mysterious, something in signs and symbols, and he kind of gives an explanation as to what that is. But if you'll notice here that Babylon is mentioned more and more and more. Now, uh, I'm going to just give some very general things. Chapter 17 is a picture of the one world religion in the last days. Okay, you say, well, why religion in the last days? Because um, there will be people uh, who uh, embrace religion but don't embrace Christ. There's a whole lot, lot of that going on even now. Um, and there will be a, a void in this religious uh, lifestyle of people who are left behind or who come along during the tribulation period. And just as uh, everything else that happens, that when there is a shortage of something, there will always be something that will supply it. People will not quit being religious just because Jesus has come. Um, the church will not uh, cease to exist, or, or the church that um, embraces or really houses world religions or these different kinds of religions uh, won't cease to exist during the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, I suspect that there will be so much chaos during the tribulation period that people will be turning to something to get answers as to what's going on, and there will be a religious part of society still who will... Um, answer those questions for them, something that they can embrace, something that will give them some, some solid footing. So uh, it's not that religion um, is going to disappear during the tribulation period. True believers in Jesus Christ are going to disappear. The true church, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So let, let's just talk about this for a minute because uh, I think it becomes very important as to um, this woman, who this woman is. And he says, uh, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. So he's talked about this woman who is riding on this beast. And really all that is is just a picture of the last day religious system sustained and supported by the Antichrist. Okay? So he's going to be in the middle of all of this as it goes along. He's going to support that. There are three things that are going to happen that Antichrist is going to take control of. In the last days of the tribulation, he will have total authority in government, he will have total authority in religion, and he will have total authority in economics. He will control the whole world. Those are the three things, when you think about it, that most people are concerned about anyway. Uh, the type of government they live under, how good the economy is, and, and what the religious uh, uh, climate 
uh, of the day is in which they live. And the Antichrist is going to control, control all those. You've probably heard before. One world government, one world religion, one world monetary system. That's how he is going to, in the last days, control the whole world. Not just, not just one part of the world, but the whole world. So let's talk about that just for a minute. And I have called this Antichrist capital city. Where, where will Antichrist um, um, uh, work from? Where will his headquarters be? Where will he um, sit on his throne, so to speak, um, as he uh, exerts his influence over the whole world during this time? I believe the Bible teaches that it will be in the city of Babylon. Now, uh, we're not going to go into everything that um, everybody says that Babylon represents. I'll tell you in just a few minutes why I think it will be a literal city, uh, be the literal city, the rebuilt Babylon itself. Uh, because if you'll notice that, if you look at, and we'll, we'll see a little bit of it uh, in just a few minutes. If you were to look at a map, um, Babylon sits right on the Euphrates River, uh, right in the middle of where the per- Persian Gulf, the Mediterranean Sea, the Black Sea, there are about six or seven seas and, and, and inlets of water that, that have access to that part of the world. Now, you know and I know that the city of Babylon is, was located in what is known today as modern-day Iraq. Uh, it, it's really about 60 miles south of Baghdad. You remember Baghdad and and when we saw all of the things on TV with Saddam Hussein and Baghdad was a big deal uh, there at that time. And so, and so it, it's, in that, it's in that general area in modern-day Iraq. Um, what most people don't know is that for 2,000 years, it served as a center of Mesopotamian civilization. It was a big deal uh, in, in the days of uh, before, before New Testament days. Uh, it was where Abraham was called from. Ur is the uh, old name for, or really what, what Babylon was Ur before it became Babylon. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. So when it says that Abraham was called from Ur of the Chaldees, then that means that Abraham was even called out of this area that we know today as Babylon. The language of the Babylonians was used across the Middle East as a way of communicating across borders. Just as the nation of Greece came in and the Greek language became so important and really more than anything um, uh, calling all of these nations together under this one rule. Language was a barrier and so the Greek language became uh, very, very important, even in the time when Jesus was born, because the Bible says at just the right time God sent forth his son. If you study the Greek culture, you'll know that it was a very relevant time for Christ to come during that time because of a more of a common language uh, and the way Greek culture had influenced cultures around that became very important during that time. So, so Babylon at one time was that way. Uh, for those of you who my wife loves mathematics, um, I would have been okay had um, uh, we have never even had um, algebra or long division. But there are some people who say that trigonometry or, or forms of trigonometry were even founded in, in the old, the old um, Babylonian Empire. Mathematics, um, astronomy... 
which, which is very, very important. They studied the stars. They studied the bodies of, um, of the heavens. They, as a matter of fact, I, I didn't put my finger on everything, but I think today, even in our calendar, there are elements of the old Babylonian calendar that was used. Uh, they, they used mathematics to track uh, planets. Um, during, the, during the days of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, as much of the world as was known was ruled by the Babylonian Empire. Many scholars believe that more than 4,000 years ago, the city of Ur was the center of an empire. Uh, and, and really, it was the provincial administration. Ur was where the, the administration of the empire took place, which would have been, been Babylon at this point. Now, uh, in recent history, I don't know if many of you know, but in recent history, Saddam Hussein began to rebuild the city of Babylon on top of the ancient ruins. Uh, and you'll, you'll get to see some of that here in just a minute. Um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, really is the one who, who turned it into a worldwide empire, but it, it was very significant even before then. Um, y'all, y'all ever heard the name Hammurabi? Hammurabi uh, came from the Babylonian area. He was a ruler there at one time. He, he actually uh, had negative influence on the world because of his rule. Um, but, but, but all the administration during the Babylonian uh, empire came from the city of Babylon. Saddam Hussein, as I said, um, began to rebuild the city. If you can go to the city or the ancient ruins today of the city of Babylon, you will see Saddam Hussein's name inscribed on some of the bricks. And when you see some of the older ones, Nebuchadnezzar's name is inscribed on some of the bricks. Uh, Saddam Hussein's goal was to rebuild the city of Babylon, which he believed he was a modern-day um, Nebuchadnezzar. That, that was his intention. His intention was to rebuild the city of Babylon and become uh, really ruler of the world. Uh, now, God had different uh, plans at that time because it just wasn't his time yet. Uh, but there will come a time, I believe, when, when that will happen. Um, since the overthrow of Hussein, it has been rumored that there are plans to rebuild the city and to make it a cultural center complete with shopping malls, hotels, and theme parks. It's important because as we begin to think about what's going on in the latter days, those things are going to be important. We know that the Tower of Babel was erected there. That's where that began. All false religion, all cults, all false gods have their origin in the city of Babylon or in the area of Babylon. Um, Let me just give you a few of those. Um, They embraced uh, these these cultural religious beliefs. All All these people who were there at Babel, uh, you just think about a, a, a large group of people and uh, all of them from different places in the world, all of them embracing their own gods. And it seemed as if ba- at Babel, they all just kind of came together and became a, a melting pot of all the religions and all the beliefs in the whole world. Can I just tell you something? That, that's as much as what's going on in our world today as anything that I can see that's even relevant to what, what happened there. There, there are, in our day and time, 
there are attempts to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then uh, the outcome of that is, is that there are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to God. We may totally disagree theologically, but we're all headed to the same place. This, this universalism of, of the salvation of everyone. So it, it's, um, it's just kind of a mishmash of, of all the religions just crammed together in, in, in one thing. They had reverence for the sky or high places. Um, everything from trees to stones to fish to birds to people had a particular significance in the universe. They worshipped those things. Uh, they had a sky god by the name of Anu. They had a storm god in Lil, uh, the water god, the water god in Ki, the moon god Sin. By the way, the moon god was or Sin was the god that that Abraham worshipped. Um, the sun god Shamash. Ishtar was the goddess of war and sex, and then Marduk had his beginning there, Marduk basically being what we would know or be more familiar with the god El or Bel. Um, he was associated with water and vegetation and magic and, and just all kinds of things. Now, here, here's, here's where I want you to grab hold of because in the Bible, in the Bible, Babylon really represents two things. It represents a literal city. There was a literal city uh, by the name of Babylon. It existed. But it also represents a system, a system of belief, a system of government, a system of all kinds of things. You know, just like we would say today, Wall Street. What, What does Wall Street represent? Wall Street represents our whole economic philosophy and so so that's kind of the way Babylon was so when when we look at Babylon we see it as a as a literal city but it also represents something else it also represents a system of thought so what we know about Babylon is this all gods other than Jehovah originated or had their origination in that area all beliefs today even can probably trace all of everything they believe back to um, the city of Babylon and the origination of that. It, it, it's really the fountainhead of idolatry in Scripture. If you want to talk about where did idolatry begin, where did false worship begin, I think you can trace most of that back to the city of Babylon. Now, there are many different thoughts as to who the name Babylon might represent. There are some that believe it represents Rome or, or the Vatican or, um, uh, or other areas of the world. You know, people trying to distinguish what this one is and what that one is and where Antichrist is going to be. Uh, We know that obviously sometime in the process of Antichrist's reign, he's going to come to the city of Jerusalem. He's going to set himself up as king to be worshipped in the Jewish temple. But I think that's because of the, uh, the, the peace treaty that he's going to make with them in the first three and a half years. And then to break that treaty, he's going to come into the city of Jerusalem and declare himself uh, to be God. Uh, it's probably safe to assume, I think, that the literal Babylon is what is in view here. And, and there is, I think, two things that kind of lead me in that direction. Number one is that the city of Babylon is mentioned more than any other city in the Bible except for Jerusalem. 
So it's pretty significant as far as the Bible is concerned. Don't know how many times, 300-something times that it's mentioned in Scripture. The only other city that's mentioned more than the city of Babylon is Jerusalem. Um, one reason to follow this thought is because the Euphrates River is mentioned in chapter 16 and verse 12. Now, now look at that with me just for a minute, probably just a page over. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So um, there, we know that the city of Babylon was right on the banks of the Euphrates River. The Tigris River came, it's almost right in the middle of those two, but it's really, even today, it's on the banks of the Euphrates River that flows through that part of the world. So I, I think as you, as you look at that, it's, the Euphrates River is mentioned in chapter 16, and then all of a sudden Babylon is mentioned again in chapter 17. I believe personally that they have a connection. Um, it may not be true, okay, but I get that. Babylon is located on the border of Euphrates River. Now follow with me. Look at what happens because we're going to turn over to chapter 18 just for a minute. Chapter 18 and look at verse 8. And, and really, I just want to look down um, toward the end of it. And he's talking about Babylon here. And she was utterly burned with fire for the... For strong is the Lord who judges her. Okay, so, so this is God's hand working in destroying the, this, this one world religious system once and for all. And this one world uh, capital of idolatry once and for all. So, matter of fact, you can read on through and it says, and she, and, he, and she never raises her head again. The total destruction of idolatry, the total destruction of of sin, the total destruction of, uh, of the origination of all of that is going to come to a sudden end. Now look at this. Uh, look at verse uh, 10, because I think this is interesting. Right at the end of verse 10, in one hour, your judgment has come. It's going to be swift when it happens. Look down in verse 17. Um, in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Uh, look at verse 19. Um, they threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which uh, all the ships in the sea grew rich with her wealth. In one hour, she has been laid waste. This is something God is doing. God's judgment is being poured out on the kingdom of the Antichrist and, and, and on wickedness in general, okay? So when you get to chapter 18, what's happening is, God, God is judging this stuff. He's doing it very swiftly. And then you have the second coming of Jesus, okay? So, so 18 kind of ushers you into the second coming. So the Antichrist will be on his way to Armageddon. We saw that last week. In the midst of that, the Bible says he will hear rumblings from the east, so Antichrist is going to leave. He's coming to draw the armies of the world together at Armageddon. The Euphrates River is going to dry up. The kings of the east are going to come across. And in the process of that, totally destroy the city of Babylon as they march their way even toward this one world conflict um, by the hand of God, as the Bible says. I like that. It's almost the picture I get when I read that is, is God just got his hand right here and he's just pushing him right along, you know. Um, 
God's hands in every bit of this. This this is God's judgment on the end times. They're, they're, all of these guys are going to think that, that that they have these great ideas, that it's their idea. But the fact of the matter is, is God, God is God is manipulating, God is moving, God is orchestrating this whole thing, and they don't even know it. They don't realize it. So 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 you see uh, what's happening here. The the the, the first half of the tribulation, religious Babylon. Um, she is she's riding on this beast. It, it, toward the end of that, Antichrist and these ten kings and these ten mountains, uh, seven mountains. We'll look at those in just a minute. Uh, they just get tired of her. Maybe she's wielding too much control. Maybe she's wielding too much influence over the people. And so you know what? They just destroy her. She's gone. Uh, and then one of the, and then the next thing God will do. God, God is going to um, destroy this, this, this wickedness um, that's gone on in the world from, from, from since time began, the Garden of Eden, uh, which, by the way, is in the same area that we're talking about. But God's also going to turn his wrath on, I believe, the sin of materialism. The, 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 the God... The God that people worship the most. There's something interesting that happens over in the New Testament. You remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000. The disciples made that a money issue. Think about it for a minute. Where are, they didn't say, where are we going to find food to feed these people? They said, where are we going to get the money to buy the food? So, so you begin to see the materialism. You see the materialism even in our day. Hey, just watch some of these people. They will sit in church on Sunday morning and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And on Black Friday, they will stab you in the neck for a TV. Right? Or a crock pot. I mean, it's the most amazing thing. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's not funny, but it is. They kind of watch it. People, people wrestling and fighting over stuff. The fact of the matter is, all that stuff's going to wind up in a dump someday. And, and you older folks, just let me go ahead and warn you now, your kids don't want anything you've got. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, Lee has to box it up. After her mother and daddy passed away, she boxed it up and she gives it to kids for Christmas presents because they don't want it. So you got to take it now, that kind of thing, you know. Yes, you do. And it's got all their names on it for their weddings too, so. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm, I mean, y'all know what I'm saying really. You see the point I'm trying to make? All of this, all this economic, if, if you would, and hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe look at some of 18, but if you just look at it, it's like people who have done business with this, with this economic nation, this economic city, when it's destroyed, they stand afar off and they watch the smoke of it go off and they're weeping and they're wailing because, you know what, they've lost everything they've got too. You, you, you think the stock market crash uh, was a bad thing. Wait till this happens. I mean, think about it for a minute. The whole world is going to hit, hit an economic crash. God is going to explode the things that man so much has put his trust in other than God. 
There'll be nothing left but God. And the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, when that time comes, it will be too late. That's why I say a lot of times, and Tony will say a lot of times, and Paul, I know, probably in his Sunday school class, and, and Bradley in his, I, I promise you that somewhere along the way that there is, um, there's somewhere along the way that basically just challenges you to get ready, be ready, get right now. And so, and so there's going to be this, this big collapse. Religious Babylon will be judged for her false teaching, her polytheism, and her apostasy. Economic Babylon will be judged for her materialism and her godless influence over the earth dwellers. Now, now what I want to do is, Brandon, can you turn that on for me? And, and then this is going to take about seven or eight minutes, but I want you to think about what I've said. I, I'm sure in the back of our minds we're going, so how's that going to happen? I want you to watch this, okay? This, this, is, this, is, this is pretty interesting right here, if we can get it up. here in the offices of the World Monuments Fund, and we're going to talk about the ancient site of Babylon that so many of us have heard of from the Bible. We've heard of the story of the Tower of Babel, which may have come from a ziggurat in ancient Babylon. But what is it like to visit Babylon today? It's great to talk about Babylon because it's one of my favorite places. We've learned a lot in the seven years that World Monuments Fund has been working on the site. Babylon conjures up these great images of the ancient world and many achievements and famous people, but it actually is a very humble looking site. People are often shocked that it's mud brick, that it's simple construction technologies, and except for the raised brick animal figures that are very famous, the rest of it doesn't look the way we expect. We read about Hammurabi and his building campaign and his code of laws, and then later, during the period that we call Neo-Babylonia, when Nebuchadnezzar rebuilt the walls and made luxurious palaces, and how it was this center for learning and the arts, and the site of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and an imperial capital. And I think it's beautiful in so many ways. It's a long, uh, particularly beautiful bend of the Euphrates, lined with palm trees, and certain times of the year, very green and lush. Other times of the year, sandstorms. But I think that's what made it a desirable settlement in antiquity, that you could grow things very easily, and it was clearly along a trade route. And we know that the site has been occupied for thousands of years. People still live adjacent to the ruins today. One of the great surprises of the site is we think that these sites are abandoned because we look at the ruins and we don't see people living right there. But in fact, less than a 30-minute walk away from the most famous parts of the site are agricultural communities and thriving modern settlements. Before the invasion in the early 2000s, this was the most visited site in all of Iraq. And virtually every Iraqi at some point during either his or her schooling or in their adult life came to Babylon. And so it's a site that people really loved. And even today, where there is not international tourism, Iraqis still come to the site. And a lot of them come just to take a walk along the river or picnic. So it's great to see people using the site even amidst the chaos we have today. Part of the work of the World Monuments Fund is to, when things settle down politically, to make this a place that people can come visit 
and to make it a place that's sustainable for tourism while still protecting the site and making future archaeological excavations possible. We were invited by the Iraq State Board of Antiquities and Heritage in 2007 to work with them to do several things. One was to create a site management plan, one was to do condition surveys, and the final element, which is what we're doing today, is to develop conservation plans that we're implementing on site and very much with an idea that international tourism will return to Iraq before too long. And one of the things we're working on right now is developing tourism paths. And in the meantime, we work very intensively with a group of State Board of Antiquity employees at Babylon, archaeologists, engineers, architects, conservators, and then our international experts come and go as needed on the site. So the site was excavated in the early 20th century, very late 19th century, by Robert Caldaway. Much of what he excavated ended up in museums around the world, including most famously the amazingly beautiful, enormous Ishtar Gate, which is in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. But quite a bit still remains on the site. There are dozens of buildings that were excavated that are still visible on the site. And even the Ishtar Gate, in fact, its predecessor is still there on the site. So what was taken away to Berlin was a top layer. And then it turns out that there are two more layers of the gate so that they just kept building on top. So you were asking me about what it's like to visit the site today. And I think one of the great surprises is, even though mud brick is a very humble material, the monumentality of the site is in the scale. So you look at these walls, and they are meters and meters thick, and they are 20 feet high. Talking a minute ago about the rebuilding that happened several times in antiquity, but there's recent rebuilding by Saddam Hussein, who saw himself as an heir to Nebuchadnezzar, the 6th century ruler of Babylon. And then there have been restoration efforts that have gone on in the 20th century since the discovery of the location of Babylon? Well, I think Babylon has a history, like many sites in Europe and the Middle East. It was excavated at the end of the 19th century, spilling into the early 20th century. Then because of World War I, excavation activity stopped. Then between the wars, it resumed a little bit again. And then there was quite a bit of activity in the 50s and 60s. Then in the 1970s and 80s was when there were a lot of reconstructions and a lot of restoration efforts on the site. One of the things that you can see if you look at before and after images, so there's the palace, which we can see what it looked like in the 1920s and 30s. And then you see in the 1980s that what were ragged, footprints of buildings have now all been made very uniform. And so that's a little bit of a concern to understand exactly how the reconstruction was undertaken. And so some concern that the restorations that happened and the rebuilding that happened under Hussein were not undertaken with the kind of scientific archaeology that would be ideal in the 21st century. It's not just Babylon that suffers from this. There's a taste that ebbs and flows about how we look at archaeological sites. So at one end of the pendulum is very heavy reconstruction so that we understand what we're looking at, and the other end of the pendulum is do nothing and leave it in a pure state. I think here we don't necessarily know enough about how the decisions were made, and it does appear to have been made more for political than scientific reasons. 
to get a real sense of that imperial city and its scale and what it meant in the ancient Near East. We'd have to go. I hope that we all have that chance. I think what will happen if you do get to go is not just that sense of grandeur and scale about the ancient world, but I think what you'll find fascinating is the world we see today at Babylon, that it's not a static museum experience. It's the birds that fly overhead. It's the dates we might find on the ground. It's the honey we might buy from local residents. And it's wandering around the site and imagining both the ancient world and maybe thinking about where we're going to go and relax later in the day, sitting by the river, enjoying a beautiful vista that I think people have enjoyed for 5,000 years. Okay. So did some things stick out to you? I think for me the main thing was, is when they were talking about the rebuilding, that it was more for political reasons than it was for scientific reasons. And the Bible tells us that's exactly that's exactly why they're going to rebuild. So, you know what? It's not just some sleeping city out there waiting for somebody to come along and, and rebuild. Uh, I, I, think a, I think another one, another thing that really stuck with me when I saw that was they are trying to create uh, an international city of tourism. Now, I want you to go. I want, I want you to think about that, and I want you to read Revelation seventeen eighteen. We're going to look at those next week, okay? But it it becomes very evident that it becomes a very very important city. the The commerce, the the people who come into that city, who do trade economically with that city, and, and leave and then stand afar off as they see. I'm telling y'all, you're seeing history being written right now through the rebuilding of the city of Babylon. It's happening right now. It's not going to come sometime later. It's happening now, and it's been happening. And um, it's just another, you know, it's just another sign for me that, you know what, you can trust the Bible. You can trust what the Bible says about something. Because we would like to think, when we think about Babylon, that it's just, it's, it's, it's knocked down, um, bricks are laying everywhere, it's been destroyed, it's under all this sand, but you saw that's not true. Uh, they, are, they are digging up and have been for some time. The, the ancient city of Babylon, they have been adding to all along. And I'm going to tell you what, that looks like a city to me that's almost inhabitable now. If, uh, if, if the right entities all come together, and they will, that, um, that, will become, that will become the center of government, religion, and economics in the last days. So, like I said, tonight was just kind of an introduction, because Babylon, 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 you know, what, what's the big deal with that? Oh, well, that's what's the big deal with that is. And so, we're going to look at and, and take some of the Take some of the passages next week in 17 18, kind of show you how that's going to happen. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you tonight for this time that you've given us again. Just open your word to study, to, to, to really take a good, hard look at what history is authenticating that's been written for us thousands of years ago. 
Uh, Lord, we just we ask you to continue to keep in the forefront of our minds that you are coming, that we are to be watching for your return, but we're also to be sharing and serving and, uh, and, and helping build your kingdom until that time comes. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing here. We pray you continue to bless this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.